You're listening to What Do You Know on News Talk KGVO, AM 1290 and 98.3 FM. Arnie Sherman, good morning to you. Good morning to you, Scott. We're very lucky this morning. We were able to corral, and I use the word you know loosely, Brian Schweitzer, former governor of Montana, to come on and talk about COVID and you know, health care and vaccines and, and the whole, that whole issue, along with, of course, politics and the election, give us a postmortem of Montana and nationally, for, as only Brian Schweitzer can. You know, he has a style of his own, as, as our listeners probably know, and we're, uh, we're just going to, uh, you know, bring him on and let him go. He's an original, and it's going to be a great show. Back after this with Brian Schweitzer. Hi, I'm Bob Burton. Back with our guest for a second visit, Governor Brian Schweitzer. Governor, it's uh, it's good to have you with us today. Well, it's not Governor. It's as usual. Even when I was Governor, it's Brian. And uh, there's the Republicans had other choice words that they called me, but uh, <laughs> Brian will be fine. Right. For our listeners who uh, might not have been in Montana um, in 2005 through 2013, Brian Schweitzer is a uh, trained agronomist and a soil scientist. He was a farmer rancher who uh, ran for governor and got elected for two terms. And uh, um, we're, we've asked him to join us today to comment on the election and uh, a postmortem on uh, what's happened nationally. But first, I wanted to start off with the most pressing issue, I think, facing all of us, which is the COVID pandemic. When you were governor, health care and pharmaceutical industry and the price of drugs and and uh, the whole industry, that whole sector was uh, very concerning to you and, and a high priority for you. As you look at things now, how we've handled COVID, where we are here in Montana and nationally, what's your take on the situation? Well, just a little bit of history. It was 21 years ago. I wasn't governor. I wasn't elected anything. Um, I was outraged that uh, Americans paid three to five times as much as 10 times as much for our medicine as they pay in Canada, in Mexico, in Germany, in France, in England. And I looked into it. And it just didn't make any sense. And so um, I met a lot of senior citizens and others who were taking expensive drugs, $500, $800, $1,000 worth of medicine per month. They couldn't afford to buy their medicine and eat. So um, what we did is we uh, went to senior centers across Montana and we talked to people and we signed people up. And eventually, some of you remember from 20 years ago, I was running busloads of people, and I would go with the busloads because I had to organize things. We'd organize the pharmacy on the Canadian side. We'd have a doctor on the Canadian side that would write the prescriptions. Uh, people would ride buses from Great Falls, from Kalispell, from Haver, and go five, eight, nine hours in a day there and back to buy their medicine for three months. And what we were saying to the people in Washington, D.C., my God, we passed a free trade agreement with Canada. Now, we told our farmers, you're just going to have to get used to selling your barley and your beef for less money because we have a free trade with Canada. And we told people, you're going to have to get used to uh, 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 selling your equipment for uh, cheap money because they make it cheaper in Canada because we have free trade. But it was our Congress, the people working for us, 
that negotiated these deals not to allow medicine to come from outside of America into America unless it goes through the pharmaceutical company that owns it. Now, let's just understand what's going on here. 90% of the medicine made in the world is not made in the United States. Half of it's made in China, uh, a quarter of it's made in India, and then it's made in third world countries around the world. And so they ship that medicine to all the other countries in the world and they sell it for, well, I'll be honest with you, now I'm getting to be a little older guy, and you know, as you get older, sometimes you gotta take some medicine. I'm taking a medicine right now. My health is fine, thank you very much. But I'm taking medicine called Zeralto. You'll see it advertised on TV. And if you buy it in the United States, the best price, and trust me, I know best price because I can squeeze a copper penny into a wire a mile long. I always get the best price, no matter what I'm doing. Best you can do is $530 a month. So. I've been, I, I go down to Arizona in the winter and I drive across, I drive to Nogales, walk across the border, have been buying my medicine, three, 90 days supply for $78 a month. Well, now I found it even cheaper. I'm buying it from a pharmacy in uh, Vancouver, British Columbia, and I just give them my charge card number and it's mailed to me, starts in Turkey where it's made. It's made by Janssen, which is a division of Johnson & Johnson. From, they're from Belgium. It's made in Turkey. It's shipped to Mauritius Island. If you know, don't know where that's at, that's 1,000 miles south of India and 800 miles off the African coast. Then it's shipped from there to Abu Dhabi, Abu Dhabi to Frankfurt. It's mailed to New York, and they finally mail it to me. And I buy it for $48 a month. Now, I'm leading somewhere with this because I'm still mad about this. It has not changed. It's still, it's worse today than when I was taking those bus trips 21 years ago. And do you know why? Why would we, why are, is America stupid? Are we dumber than the rest of the world? Are, are, are Americans, aren't we supposed to be the shining uh, uh, mount on the hill or whatever that is? Aren't we supposed to be the best negotiators because we're capitalists and the rest of the world are socialists? Isn't that who we're supposed to be? How could we be so dumb that we pay five or ten times more? Oh, I think I know. If you, I have to whisper this, because this is a secret they don't like us to know in Congress. If you were to look at where members of Congress get their money to get reelected, um, 100% of the Republicans get huge donations from the pharmaceutical industry, and only about 70% of the Democrats. And they vote with the pharmaceutical industry, their new bosses. Um, you know, take a look at Montana. For the last 30 years, our congressional delegation, whether they're Democrats or Republicans, 100% have voted with the pharmaceutical industry. And Montana, by the way, was educating this issue of any place in America because of these bus trips. So Now let's talk about the pandemic. Arnie, for God's sake, we're in a situation, Scott, that uh, this pandemic is a once in a hundred year deal. And you know that during the last 40 years, your tax dollars, your federal tax dollars, has been paying for research. The National Institute of Health, using your tax dollars, they put money in medical research across this country. They give it to pharmaceutical companies, they give it to research companies, and mostly they give it to universities. Here's our problem. Um, America, your tax dollars, spends a lot of money in development in, in, in healthcare, more than the rest of the world. In fact, I looked this up. America spends more money on medical research than the next nine countries. Think about it. Japan, China, England, Germany, France, Brazil. All of them added up are less than what we spend in the United States. The pandemic comes. 
Thank God we've invested in our pharmaceutical companies. So we'll be at the cutting edge of this. We will be in front of everybody else. I've been hearing uh, Donald Trump, uh, President Donald Trump say, we're ahead of the rest of the world. Well, are we? So I've just had a look at the companies who are actually making the vaccine. You've heard during the last few days that uh, Pfizer, and Moderna, one of them's got 95% efficiency, another one's 94.5%, and we're going to have this available by the end of the year, and America first, and we're better than it. Oh, wait. Both of those companies are buying the medicine from a company in Germany. Well, but then there's Johnson & Johnson. Now, Johnson & Johnson's another great company, and, mm -hmm. and they just announced that they've got one that's 70% efficient, maybe better, it might get better. Oh, but theirs is made in Belgium. So what, 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 but, but, but what about, what about, you know, uh, AstraZeneca? AstraZeneca, is it, it? No, that's made in Oxford. So you see, we must be dopes in this country because we have spent more money on medical research and we gave it to the pharmaceutical companies, making them rich, making them powerful. And when America needs them more than any time in history, they're absent without leave. In fact, you know, there's 17 vaccines worldwide that are currently in stage two testing. None of them in America. Hmm. China has three. In China, they've already vaccinated a million people. Well, you can say that's because they, they line people up like cattle and they just uh, inject them the way we do in the fall of the year with our Angus. No. No, they're doing testing there. And what they said to Chinese citizens, if you're going to leave the country and go to this list of countries that have a lot more of this uh, coronavirus than we do, Europe and U.S. and a few other places, you're, it's obligatory that you get the vaccine before you leave China. And so there's a lot of, you know, a billion and a half people live in China and they travel a fair bit. So these people are getting the vaccine. Uh, they're getting the vaccine in Brazil and they're getting it in India and they're getting it all over Africa. In America? Well... Um, I, I heard our president, he tells us that he's been working on something called warp speed. And Americans think, well, that means that we're going to have the power of America, America first. We're going to have the vaccine before anybody else. And we, eh, no. Warp speed only refers to delivering the vaccine that was made in Europe. You know, like we do with the flu vaccine every fall. You know yeah. how you go to CVS or Walgreens or your doctor or right. and you get your flu? Well, that's what warp speed is because we're not making any vaccine here. <laughs> the, the vaccine uh, research and development was all made in other countries. And meanwhile, we've been giving these pharmaceutical companies all this money for all these years and paying more for the medicine in the United States. And you would think for all of that, we would get something in return. Turns out, nope, we've just been getting screwed. So, so, Brian, what, what, what do we do about it? What's the solution? Is uh, there a solution? Well, I guess right here in Montana, we can ask our members of Congress how come they keep voting with the pharmaceutical companies and not Montana. So that'd be a good start. Now, we got, we got, we got three. We got a congressman and we got two senators. That'd be a good start. How about we ask them? Now, as you know, um, at least two of our members of Congress, they never have any public meetings in Montana. So I, I don't know how you'd go around asking them any questions. Uh, but uh, perhaps we could ask our new governor. He was a congressman. He was in Washington, D.C. He's been there for a short period of time, but he had an opportunity to vote with the pharmaceutical companies. He'd be a good guy to ask. What do you know about this? Um, I guess it doesn't hurt to be outraged. And if, if Americans stand up and fight back, 
we can probably get something done. But in the meantime, having this knowledge is important. If you don't know about these things, you can't do anything about these things. So we've been told that the vaccine is going to be free. Do you really think that's the case? Well, no. Um, even if it's free, it's going to cost uh, you, the tax dollar, somewhere between 50 and 150 bucks. Now, there's a lot of free things going on right now. Everything's fairly because we've spent more money per last COVID business. You know, the Trump administration, <laughs> they, they spent money like, and I was going to call them drunken satyrs, but there's, it's a lot. I mean, there's nothing wrong with a drunk who's a satyr, uh, but there's really something wrong with a system where your tax dollars are just thrown up into the air. And by the way, you have to pay that back. We're just borrowing this money from China and Europe. That's, that's all we're doing. And uh, ultimately, it has to be paid back. Or I guess, Arnie, you're old enough, you won't have to pay it back. It'll be your kids and your grandkids. Yep. Good plan. Somewhere down the line. <laughs> but, I, but, I, but I was told, and see, I didn't know that much about politics, but what I was told is that there's two parties. And you have one party, the Republican Party, that's good with money. Now, these are folks that challenge every expense. They are going to uh, have less regulation and lower taxes because they're going to deliver government more efficiently than the Democrats can do. And that's what I heard before they had their president get into office. But have you heard anything from any Republicans during the last uh, three years talking about how good they are with money? No, no, it doesn't matter anymore. In fact, they say deficits don't matter. But when they were elected, they said deficits do matter. Your grandkids are going to have to pay this back. And I, incidentally, I kind of agree with that. In fact, while I was governor, people got tired of what Brian Schweitzer had to say because I always said, we're going to challenge every expense. Remember that, Scott? Mm -hmm. Arnie? Oh. We're going to run yeah, this on the ranch. We're going, to keep, we're going to keep grain in the bin. That's how, that's how the homesteaders managed to make it in Montana. We have tough years in Montana. It doesn't rain every year. If you keep grain in the bin, you got enough to carry you over. So when Montana got to the Great Recession of 2008, 2009, 48 states were financially upside down. There were only two states that had surplus. You guessed it, Montana was one of them. Right. Because we kept grain in the bin. We challenged every expense. My God, people who worked in state government while I was governor, they got tired of hearing this because every day I was out looking for how we can save money. I had something called vacancy savings. Vacancy savings? Yeah. If you work for state government and you moved on and got another job or retired or left state government for whatever you chose to, my chief of staff had informed all the directors, you don't automatically replace that person. You as a director have to decide whether you really needed that person. And if you really need that person, you have to have the signature of the governor's chief of staff. We did that for 16,000 employees. Because I was of the opinion, if you're making government more efficient, if you're using artificial intelligence, if you're using computerization, we ought to be able to do what business is doing all over the world. Now, we didn't lay people off. We just didn't necessarily replace them. We did some other things that are kind of interesting right now. You know, one time I was getting on a plane in Helen to go someplace. And... Uh, Dang it, I just can't help myself. I'm a farm boy and I always like meeting people. And so I'd get on a plane, and especially a place like any place in Montana, I'd just go right down and shake hands with everybody on the airplane. And I found out about half the people getting on the plane in Helena were state employees going to some conference or meeting. And oftentimes it would be, you know, 
December, January, February, March. And they weren't going to Minneapolis. They were going to Las Vegas. They were going to Phoenix. They were going to Amarillo. They were going to Florida. And, 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 and by the way, these are legitimate conferences, most of them federal government conferences. As you know, 90% of all the money we put into our highways comes from the federal government. Uh, same thing is true in a lot of health care. And we have all of these federal dollars with all of these rules, and they're changing them all the time. And so we had these meetings we had to go to. Well, I thought, um, well, listen, if we have federal employees who've got 50 states coming to their meetings, wouldn't they have PowerPoint presentations? Or do they just, like, drink beer and talk together? And so I said to our directors, uh, in order for anybody to travel that works for you out of state, you have to have the signature of my chief of staff. And if you're telling me you're going to a conference and they don't have a PowerPoint and you can't watch it on Skype, well, then um, we're not using technology. And so we saved, <laughs> we saved millions of dollars by not sending people outside of Montana. And they stayed, with, uh, stayed in their office, stayed spent more time with their family. You can challenge expenses. We, we reduced our energy consumption by 20% in less than two years. Now, I talk about these things because we have a new governor in Montana, um, Mr. Gianforte. And uh, he says he's a businessman. All right, let's prove it. Let's see you deliver government for less money, not cut government. And by the way, while I was governor, since we saved this money, we put more new money in K-12 education than any time in history. Uh, we didn't raise tuition at our universities and colleges for eight years. It wasn't cutting government. It was delivering government more efficiently. You reallocating. It's exactly. Run it, run it like a ranch. Ask some questions. Uh, so uh, if, if this new administration, if uh, they think they're good at running things, prove it. Deliver government for less money. Well, it'll be interesting because, as you know, I think this is the first time since 1932 or 1933 that one party controls both houses of the legislature and the administration. And they have a supermajority. They can't uh, be vetoed. So how do you think that's going to play out here in Montana? You own it, baby. Uh, so if the pickup runs in the ditch, uh, don't ask me to pull it out. <laughs> that's, that's what I would say about it. And, you know, here's what I've, I've read, actually, uh, because they've had some secret meetings, but things can't stay a secret. And uh, they're already mentioning the bills that they're going to pass. They, they have bills... The absolute bill, every word in the bill, bills that I vetoed in 2011. So I already know what they're going to do. Uh, and some of this stuff's kind of crazy. Uh, in fact, it's been tried before. Uh, Kansas is a great example. They did exactly what we have in Montana. They had a Republican governor, and they had super control of the legislature. And there's, a, there's an outfit in Washington, D.C. that writes these bills. I don't know if you knew about this. It's not, it's not some legislator from Kalispell or Billings that writes these bills. Uh, there's a Republican organization in Washington, D.C. that writes these bills, every word of it, and just hands it to these legislators. Well, they did that in Kansas. They said, okay, yeah, we'll pass them all. And so Kansas uh, cut K-12 education spending, cut mental health spending. Uh, they made government um, not more efficient. They just cut services. Oh, and they cut taxes. And they're completely financially upside down. 
There's no state in America that's worse run than Kansas. They tried it in Oklahoma, South Dakota, these states that have super majorities like we have in Montana, they just pass these bills of what these theoretically smart guys working for the Koch brothers in uh, Washington, D.C. write. And uh, two, three years from now, government's going to be bankrupt. And then they'll say, well, gee, we can't deliver government services anymore. We're out of money. Well, maybe, maybe it's because you're not very good at running government. Well, Brian, I've been in Montana now 24 years, and there's never been a time where every single statewide office holder except one, uh, John Tester, has been from one party. What happened this time? What's your sense of, of why the voters gave thumbs down to the entire Democratic slate that was running? Well, I've said before, um, and it's a little self-effacing, but not exactly. People ask me about how I was successful getting elected governor when we hadn't done it for 20 years. Um, I say, well, luck and timing, luck and timing. There's a little skill involved in it, I presume, but it is luck and timing. And what we had in this particular case is we'd had 16 years with a Democratic governor and um, people were concerned. Here's the concern that we have in Montana. It's not, it's not uh, uh, a secret. We're in the middle of a pandemic. 10% unemployment. We got another 20% of Montana um, are not sure that they're going to be able to pay their mortgage at the end of the month or even pay their rent. And that's, that's where we're going into this election cycle. So I would have thought that uh, Democrats in running for office in Montana would be talking about those issues, how we're going to keep you in your home and keep you in your job. That's the most important thing. Now, there's other things that people are concerned about after they take care of their family, right? you got to keep your job. Sure. you got to take care of your family. Well, after that, well, you get to be worried about health care. That's kind of important. And then after that, well, you get to be concerned about education. That's pretty important. And about fourth or fifth or sixth down the line, you say, if I've got enough time and i got my health and I can pay my mortgage, I'm going to be concerned about where I can fish and hunt. And I don't want some SOB telling me I can't fish and hunt there. But that's not number one. That's not number two. And if you would have turned the TV on during the last four months, you would have thought the only thing we care about in Montana is who's going to be able to hunt and fish on public lands. And there's something else that I learned in this election cycle. And by the way, this, this might even have some Montanans looking at each other and saying, what the hell's the matter with that guy? Well, I'm going to tell you what I thought. I watched television ads in Montana where we had people saying, I hate Chinese people more than you hate Chinese people. And then... That would be what the Republicans, the Democrat would say, oh, that's not true at all. I hate them just as much as you do. Please, Montana, we've been through that. You know, when my grandparents came to Montana and homesteaded, my father's family were, it's a German name, but they came from Ukraine. It was the middle of one. And my God, we passed a sedition act that said, if you have a German sounding name, <clears throat> we're treating you separate and different. We're spying on you. You have to go to the county courthouse and buy war bonds. And people would spit on them. On my mother's side, they came from Ireland, and the sign said, help wanted. Irish need not apply. Then we get to World War II, and suddenly Japanese people were bad people. And then we, then we apparently thought Hispanic people were going to cross over the border and rape your daughter, daughter and circle or have her. I mean, we are better than that, Montana. We're not racist, and we don't say these kinds of things. You know who Chinese people are in Montana? Customers, 
<laughs> we produce food and export it to the world. And do you know who the largest customer for imported food is in the world by far? China. China. No. So if you're running for office in Montana, do not. I mean, I mean, think about business just a little bit. Let's not insult our customers. That's a great you know, point. It's a great point, and uh, I think what underlies that is that the uh, the ticket that ran on the Democratic side didn't have a Montana platform. They got sucked into the Pelosi Schumer, you know, defense as they were, you know, beaten up by the Republicans, and they never laid out much beyond, as you pointed out, which I have to agree with, you know, you know, public access, and that's not a uh, you know, in Maslow's hierarchy of needs, that's not one of the most important needs that you have, particularly in a pandemic and an economic recession as a result of that pandemic. Well, absolutely true. And and what, what we what we what we need to do is we need to recognize that Montanans as a whole aren't like they are on the east and west coast. And Democrats in Montana aren't like Democrats on the east and west coast. We just aren't. And if we start looking like them, and talking like them, then people say, well, that doesn't sound like Montana. So here's what we did. We decided that we wanted people that looked and talked like Montana, you know, like, uh, let's see, uh, Gianforte from, and nothing, nothing to say bad about New Jersey or anything, but uh, he's not from Montana, he came to Montana. Steve Daines, born in California. Uh, this guy that ran for insurance commissioner, let's see. Oh, he must be from Montana because he bought a hunting uh, license uh, uh, acting like he was from Montana for four or five years till he got caught. And they said, listen, here's the deal. You're from California and you can't buy an in-state hunt license anymore. And so they find him a bunch of money. Uh, so um, there's nothing wrong with coming from another state and coming to Montana. But don't come from another state and come to Montana and tell us that you know more about Montana than those of us whose grandparents homesteaded here. Well, that's true, but they got elected, and some lifetime Montanans who ran on the other ticket, on the Democratic ticket, got you know, you know, squashed. Basically, I mean, it was some not even close. Some of it's luck and timing. Some of it's luck and timing, and um, you know, it's it's candidates again. If you if you watched the ads from Montana candidates, um, and there wasn't honestly, there wasn't much room left after the Senate campaign. I mean, nearly $200 million was spent on the Senate campaign. It set a new record nationwide right. in the history of our country. Nobody has spent more money on uh, per vote than we did on our Senate race in Montana. When and, you ran for Senate, Brian, how much did you spend? Um, oh, gosh, I, I, I raised a million and a half bucks. When I ran for governor, both times, well, the first time I raised about $2.1 million. And the second time, I raised about the same amount of money, but then... I was uh, I was so far ahead that the ads that we did run um, were uh, well we had fun with them so we were they were just uh, kind of entertainment right do you, think, you, do you think Bullock was was painted with the brush that they've been painting that the Republicans had painted all the Democrats with with the socialist Marxist brush and is that what really stuck here well it might have been um, you know I I like to hear the word socialist um, I like to hear that word socialist and let me tell you why I like to hear it because I think I kind of know what a socialist is, uh, and I know what socialism is. Socialism is where you have government money that flows into the hands of private citizens to help them do whatever it is that they're doing. Right. So in particular in Montana, 
when I hear people uh, refer to other people as socialists, I always like to see what it is that they do for a living. So for example, me, I'm a third generation farmer and rancher, so I understand how this works. If you grow wheat in Montana, a portion of your income comes directly from the federal government. You get a check every year, sometimes twice per year. And that check is to offset whatever uh, value of the uh, wheat that you sell in the market versus what you were hoping you could get for the market. So you have government directly giving money to businesses in Montana so that they could stay in business. That would be, Arnie, what would that be called? Socialism. Okay, so if you're in the cattle business in Montana and you run your cattle 100% on your private land, uh, well then that's, uh, that's not socialism. But if you're like um, a large percentage of cattlemen in Montana and you actually have your cattle raised on federal land, uh, what happens is instead of you paying $25 for your cow and calf to be on grass for a month, you pay $1.35 to the federal government. So you're subsidized to the tune of well, whatever that works out to, 1,000 or 3,000 uh, percent to run your cows on government land. Uh, Scott, what would that be called? Scott would say that's called socialism. Okay. So how about, <laughs> how about if, uh, if you have a business where you have to deliver what you have in Lewistown to Great Falls or Great Falls to Missoula, and uh, you're driving uh, your car on a and uh, that highway is built by 10% uh, state money and 90% federal money. And uh, you say, well, that came from my gas tax, though, so I actually paid for it. Well, you might have, except that in Montana, since we have few people buying gas and a lot of miles to take care of, we actually get about three times as much in uh, federal funding back as we sent to the federal government. So that means if you're driving on highways in Montana, uh, Arnie, that would call, then you would qualify as a what? Socialist. Oh, okay. So then uh, the Constitution doesn't say anything about public schools, not a single thing about public schools. And right. so what we do is we collect money, and in Montana, the budget of Montana, if you hear somebody talking about the budget of Montana, understand this. There's three things that we spend money on, basically. fifty. There's a pie-shaped chart. A pie chart. 50% of the money that we take in as state taxes from Montanans goes for education, most of it K-12, some of it higher education. About 20% of it is for healthcare, and about 20% of it is for corrections. So there it is, that's 90% of our budget. All right, so uh, education, it's not in our constitution. I'm a big supporter of public education, by the way. Uh, and uh, so when you collect taxes from a guy like Arnie, whose kids are well beyond being educated in any of our public schools, and uh, some other family is sending their kids to a public school, what would that be called, Scott? Subsidies? <laughs> so, so at any rate, at any rate, um, those, um, you know, the pot shouldn't call the kettle black. I guess well, what's, what in, what's interesting, Brian, let me, let me just interject. What's interesting is that small family-run farms and the large corporate farms have been for years getting these enormous subsidies. The Trump administration was handing out checks, you know, all along during this Unprecedented. Process. Never unprecedented amount, yeah, and they still vote for, you know, the people Against that the are doing it. Well, the, the reason we had to hand out those subsidies is because we created a trade war with the people who buy the wheat in Montana. Our right, customers. we produce wheat in Montana and we sell it to people in other countries. Ninety percent of the wheat we produce in Montana is exported, and we insulted um, all of those people, and we and we made tariffs. 
So since we couldn't sell our wheat for a good price, we sell our wheat for a low price, and uh, the federal government has to subsidize because they screwed up the trade negotiations. Brian, what should we be looking forward to over the next couple of years? If you're writing a horror film and a script, what should we be looking What's going to happen? Is there any bright spots? Oh, yeah, yeah we'll get through this. We'll get through this. Because <laughs> what are we looking at? Are we looking we've at elected, Bernie? We've elected, um, we've elected a fellow by the name of Gianforte. And Gianforte, he, he's told us that he's a private businessman, and he is, and uh, he's employed a lot of people, and he did. Um, and uh, that uh, he's going to run our business of uh, government a lot different. Remember, uh, 50% of your state taxes goes to pay for education. And then some of it pays for corrections. And some of it pays uh, for health care. And so uh, now we have a governor and apparently a lot of Republicans who say, well, we're going to run things completely different. Now, Mr. Gianforte would know how to run things completely different because you may or may not know this. His private company, his private company, um, they received $117 million worth of contracts from government entities. Yeah, you got, you heard me right. $117 million. They bragged in 2009, his company, that they had a contract with every single one of the federal agencies. Didn't matter whether it was health and human services or defense or transportation, had contracts with all of them. So Mr. Gianforte, as a private businessman, what is it that you call a private businessman that gets lots of money from the government or, or a share of what they get from the government? What's that called? Again, starts with an S? Yep. It's the social largesse. How about oh, that? Oh, okay. Okay. So um, I don't know. Um, I guess uh, we'll probably since he understands that there is a partnership between government and private industry, he probably understands that there will be private parties who pay taxes that will pay for K-12 education. So theoretically, he will support that because he's been on the other end of it, putting the money in his pocket that came from taxes. So mm -hmm. I think um, uh, I don't think so much will change. I believe that they will pass a lot of bills that I vetoed and uh, that Steve Bullock vetoed. I believe that uh, there's a few things they're going to do that are going to be real interesting. Now, for example, in 2004 in Montana, we passed a medical marijuana bill, and it passed by two-thirds. The people of Montana said, if, if you have a medical concern and marijuana um, is, uh, has been found to help you in your care, you really ought to have access to it, 2004. Well, in 2011, while I was governor, the Republican legislature sent me a bill. They all voted for it. Repeal. Repeal the medical marijuana bill. And I said, excuse me, two-thirds of Montana had an opportunity to voice their opinion. And they said, you ought to have access to medical marijuana. And I vetoed that bill. And then every one of those Republicans voted to override my veto, and they didn't have enough votes. Um, so then I noticed that Derek Skies, he's a legislator from Kalispell. Right. Um, just a couple of weeks ago in the Missoulian, he was asked, how come you have a bill draft already on the books that would repeal the, the marijuana bill if it passes by a vote of the people? And he said, oh, he said, well, you, you know, he has that draft in case it passes by a very small, slim majority. And, you know, you can't always trust the electorate. So he's prepared. But now that it's passed with 57 percent of the vote, he would never stand in the will of the people of Montana. Well, Mr. Derek Skies. In 2011, 
voted to override the will of the Montana people in the medical marijuana bill when two-thirds of Montana voted for it. Well, right. that, maybe that was just one time. Or how about two times Montana has voted to stop cyanide leach mining in Montana because we are the headwater state and our water flows uh, both uh, in, in, into the Atlantic and into the Pacific, actually into the Arctic as well. Um, and we recognize how important it is to have clean water in Montana. We recognize we've made mistakes in the past and we want to make sure we get it right. Twice by initiative, Montanans have voted. Twice by super majorities to stop cyanide leach. Well, in 2011, they sent me a bill to override it. So I vetoed it and every Republican legislator voted against the will of the people one more time. They're going to pass both of those bills. How about another one? So we passed, we passed uh, in 2005, we passed the renewable portfolio standard. We said Montana has more wind energy than any place else in America. This is a great economic opportunity for us. We ought to attract companies to come to Montana to build renewable energy sources. So we said by the year 2015, 15% of electricity that we consume in Montana ought to come from renewable resources. And so we passed that bill. Well, in 2011, they sent me a bill that said, oh, by the way, um, we ought to include in the renewable portfolio standard those dams that were built 80 years ago on the Missouri River and some of the dams in western Montana because they use electricity that's renewable. Yeah, yeah, I said, but that wasn't the point. The point was is we wanted to create jobs in Montana by building wind farms, and we have. And so they sent me a bill that would have repealed the bill that passed and allow the existing hydroelectric to trump did I use the term Trump? I didn't mean to you use did. that. To Trump yes. wind energy, of which we are the best in the world at, right. and, and created a lot of jobs building wind farms. What's your thoughts about the legislature uh, um, terminating Medicare expansion? Medicaid expansion. Well, I don't think they should stop there. You see, since ninety percent of the money that ninety percent of the money that it would be for Medicaid expansion for the 90,000 people who, uh, to, who are on Medicaid in Montana, that is part of this expansion, uh, comes from the federal government. So um, if we're against the federal government bringing money to Montana to help our rural hospitals stay open, because that's what this is about. <laughs> Most of these Medicaid dollars are spent in those rural hospitals where those Republican legislators, this isn't about Missoula, don't worry Missoula, you got a big hospital, it'll be fine. Kalispell, no problem there. Billings, you'll be fine. Great Falls, Helena, you're fine. Lewistown, ooh, you might lose your hospital. Right. Uh, Haver, ooh, gone. And so start checking, uh, checking it for all across Montana. Um, and, and by the way, remember, 90% of the dollars are federal dollars that flow to Montana. So if you're against that, well, let's stop those highway dollars from coming here too, because that's 90% of those dollars also are federal dollars coming to Montana. So if you're against, and I've heard Republican legislators say, well, that's just, uh, I mean, we can't, we can't continue to sustain this, 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 this budget in Washington, D.C. That's what they used to say. Really? You're worried about the budget in Washington, D.C.? Well, President Trump blew the top out of it and you didn't whisper a word? I'm sorry. Um, <clears throat> I guess there might be some hypocrites in Montana. I don't know. Well, you know, the talk, of course, is already now that the transition is underway, that uh, we have to uh, cut back on Social Security and Medicare because the uh, deficit's out of control. 
Sure. Sure. Yeah, we, we uh, gave so many tax breaks to, to multinational uh, corporations. And when I say multinational, it, that means they're not necessarily just an American company. What we've done is we've given them tax breaks so that they can deliver goods and services uh, to other countries for less money. And uh, um, they pay less taxes in the United States. And, okay, and it's also good for oh, their board of directors and their shareholders and, and others. But it's not good for Montana. So Brian, let me get, let, let me, go ahead, Scott. No, I was going to keep going, Arnie. I was going to say, I want to get to the, the big enchilada question. You know, Donald Trump, you know, is, has divided the nation between, you know, people that love him and would take a bullet for him and people that think he's the, you know, reincarnation of Satan. Yet the guy has gotten 73 million votes the second time around after you watched him for four years. 73 million people voted for him with all of his warts, with all of his crudeness, his vindictiveness, you know, not going to church, even though 80 percent of the you know evangelicals voted for him. What does that say to you as an elected official, as a person who ran for office? about the mentality, not only in Montana, because Montana voted for him, but but that many people in the country buying his act. Well, I think about his act. Um, what what uh, he apparently, whether he understands it or whether he's just involved in it, is uh, is uh, reality TV. Um, it doesn't really matter what the, what the facts are. I mean, if you watch the Kardashians, do, do you believe that that's really true, that one girl was mad at the other girl and she pulled her hair and that she didn't like the way she was wearing her dress and so she called uh, somebody else a name? Uh, do, did you think that the, the real housewives would fill in the blank? Uh, do you think those are real? Well, so Trump came from reality TV. And so uh, he wasn't interested in policy, obviously. What he was interested in is calling people names and dividing people. And that's, he was very successful at that. Uh, now, here's, here's something that, um, in Montana, I, I am, uh, I'm going to say something about a few people that you're going to surprise you. You know, um, before I was elected governor, there was a fellow by the name of Mark Roscoe that served two terms as Republican governor. Right. And then when I ran for governor, there was a fellow by the name of Bob Brown who ran against me. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, uh, both of those guys, both of those guys have done something pretty, pretty good. They came out and said, I can't support this guy, Donald Trump. He's not, he's not a Republican. He, he, he doesn't represent any of the values that we do. Um, we are God-fearing people, and he's not. We, we, we go to church on Sunday, and he does not. He makes fun of us, people who go to church on Sunday. Um, we, we, we've always told people that we're good with money, that we'll challenge every expense. He doesn't. Um, He's not really interested in public policy. We can't support him. Mitt Romney, a guy that I traveled uh, when we were governors together, I traveled with him to see our National Guard in Kuwait, in Iraq, in Afghanistan, in a war zone. When you spend nine days with somebody in a war zone, you get to know them very well. And I have a great deal of respect for Mitt Romney. Mitt Romney has raised his hand and said, excuse me, Mr. President, this is not what our country is about. Uh, ben Sass from Nebraska, another Republican senator, he's also said, Mr. President, this, this isn't who we are as a country, and this certainly isn't who we are as Republicans. I have a great deal of respect for those. And by the way, while I was governor and I disagreed with, with President Obama, I said so. <laughs> when they passed the Affordable Care Act 
and handed just handed the reins to our healthcare system to the insurance companies. I I uh, I raised my hand and said, "Excuse me, what, what, what insurance companies don't deliver healthcare? Why are we giving them twenty percent of our healthcare dollars?" And by the way, why will you not allow us to buy medicine for the same price as the rest of the world? I raised my hand when it was a Democrat in the White House. <laughs> those are the people that I respect, people that have values and stick by those values and don't just run after uh, some politician because it gives you a little extra power. So one of your former colleagues, John Kasich, governor, former governor of, of Ohio, said, that at least on the elected official side, people don't speak out more against, haven't spoken out more against them, even during this last three weeks of tumultuous behavior, because they're afraid of him and they're afraid of his, you know, army that's out there. These 70 million, or maybe not all of them are an army, but there's a, gr- a good portion of them. Oh, cry me a river. He will say mean things about me. He will say that my hair is not very good. He will say I don't fit my jeans like I used to. He'll say that my dog is too slow to chase cows. I mean, that's that's what Trump does. Well, but he did he did a little bit more than that, you know, in all fairness, in terms of uh, his vindictiveness. When uh, his former attorney general ran for Senate, um, Jeff Sessions, he didn't support him and uh, endorsed another candidate who ran, and Sessions didn't even come out of the primary. So they well, have what, what was Sessions going to say? Sessions supported, he was the first senator to support Donald Trump for president when Ted Cruz um, was right. calling him names. When right. Graham said, this guy is a racist and he cannot be the president of the United States. All right. And so, um, you know, when you say one thing and then you switch to another, that's what people hate in politics. Yes. <laughs> so if, if you have values and you stick by those values, people will begin to recognize that. And if, if, if the guy with the orange hair... If he calls you a name, if he says you don't fit in your jeans anymore, if he says uh, that you can't ride a motorcycle as fast as he can, whatever it is that he's insulting you about, maybe he makes fun of your wife, um, you, you know, you, you just take it back to what people actually care about. Um, yeah, and, was- and so in Montana, we were in a position where we didn't have people that were willing to stand up to Trump. I mean, honest to God. Uh, if you would have stood up to Trump, well, he would come and spend a million dollars here in Montana and have a rally and say rotten things about you. I guess that's what they were concerned about. They were worried about Let's take a quick break. Um, our guest is Brian Schweitzer, Governor Brian Schweitzer, but we'll call him Brian. Back after this. Town Square Media. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. With our guest, Brian Schweitzer. Brian, is there anything with this last election that surprised you, you know, a group that, that you know, came in force and uh, used their might to maybe turn things uh, differently than you had anticipated? Well, really, um, if you were to ask last year and 10 years ago, if you were to ask uh, some, uh, some group of Republicans uh, separate from a group of Democrats, and you were to say to them, what will high voter turnout mean in this next election? 
The Republicans would say, oh my God, high voter turnout. That means uh, in Montana, the reservations are going to show up, the college kids are going to show up, and it's going to really hurt Republicans. And Democrats would say, high voter turnout, we always do better because uh, high turnout is going to be young people, it's going to be shy voters, it's going to make sure that people, uh, Native, Native Americans in, uh, in Montana are going to turn out, it'll be good for Democrats. What we found out in this election is, uh, no, it wasn't. There were a whole lot of voters that didn't vote before. Maybe um, they were um, shy voters in the past. Maybe they were not particularly interested in politics. Maybe they didn't spend much time studying politics, uh, and they just watched some TV ads during the last couple of weeks, and it was easy for them to vote because they could mail it in. Mm. No Republican uh, predicted this, and no Democrat predicted this. They all would have predicted big turnouts, good for Democrats, bad for Republicans. And let me tell you what I believe is the reason why it didn't work out that way. Um, across America, up to and including Montana, um, because of the pandemic, Democrats were reluctant. Democratic parties were reluctant to go door to door, knock on doors, get people registered to vote, and get their votes delivered. They were reluctant. They weren't going door to door. But nationwide, and including in Montana, the Republicans were going door to door. They were knocking the doors. They were getting people registered to vote. They were getting those votes delivered. And so this pandemic turned a lot of things upside down. And more importantly than anything else, what Republicans believe to be true and Democrats believe to be true in terms of high voter turnout <laughs> was 180 degrees of where they thought it was. Brian, what are you currently working on? Well, I still have a ranch. Um, I've got a ranch... Uh, Oh, it's kind of between Marysville and Elliston, if you know where that's at. Um, I, uh, I'm doing a, a pretty good-sized project uh, in Gabon, Africa. I'm doing sustainable forestry. Gabon is about the size of uh, Colorado. It's about 90% forest, and uh, the bar is low, I will admit that, but it's the most environmentally conscious country in Africa. And I'm involved with a group of people. In fact, I'm a partner. And we're doing sustainable forestry in Gabon, Africa. It's a pretty remarkable place. They still have 350,000 of these lowland gorillas. The males are 500 pounds. The females are 350. Um, it's, uh, it's the largest population in Africa. Unlike the neighbors in, in Congo and Cameroon who have killed their elephants and their rhinos for their ivory, uh, Gabon still has 90% of their population intact. They have 12 national parks. It's a beautiful country, wonderful people. They're French-speaking, and I don't speak French, so that uh, is a disadvantage. But uh, I'm, I'm enjoying that I'm involved in a sustainable project in Africa demonstrating how it can be done right. It's life after politics. Exactly. Well, I've had plenty of life before politics. Thank you for listening to What Do You Know? I can't wait for the next show, Scott. I'm excited too, Arnie. If you'd like to suggest a guest, send me an email at scottrichman at townsquaremedia.com. We'll see you next week. And thanks for listening to News Talk KGVO. Want to redo?